Morning, Grace Hill. Good to see all of you. I can actually see you in here, which I really love that. I love being in here. Uh, This is great. My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Grace Hill Church. So if you're new here, I would love to meet you uh, afterwards. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, On behalf of the elders at Grace Hill Church, I do apologize for my father's actions at Trunk or Treat. (laughs) Elder Monty there, that is my dad as well. I I wasn't there. I was uh, with one of our ministry partners in the Dominican Republic uh, that weekend, and I got lots of text messages. Um, And he's not here this morning, so we can make fun of him for it. Um, Thank you for making your way to the cafeteria as well. Uh, We will be here next week, too. Just one more week, we'll be in here, and then we'll be back in the auditorium. We love the size of this. This is actually really great. It fits our church much better than the auditorium, but the auditorium is much easier on our setup teams and uh, to set up and all of that. So it's that's why we like to uh, gather there uh, as well. Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 10. We'll be in there in just a few moments. Um, just so encouraged by the words uh, of my wife and the work that she's done through Foster the Family. As Evan said, today is Stand Sunday, where we are thinking about how the church really intersects with the foster care system, and we serve the vulnerable in our community. And I just want to reiterate, we're doing that big toy drive for Foster the Family. Um, They need tons and tons of toys for their winter wonderland because here's what the kids experience, right? So these are kids who are in the foster care system and they get to literally go into this big room that's just filled with toys, tables everywhere. And they're like, just go pick what you want right? And it's so great. So to, to give them that experience, right, we need tons and tons of toys. So we and lots of other partners are helping to supply that for Foster the Family. And so we wanted to try to supply 100 toys. And we're talking nice toys, right? Like $20 or so. I know that that's, could be pricey, but we want to give these kids a toy that they're really going to be proud of and excited to have. So um, if you don't mind jumping in on that, uh, we're going to be collecting those the next two Sundays, bring them back here. Um, and that would just serve these kids so well. But as we're thinking about Stand Sunday, um, I, I, I really wanted to get into the scriptures and talk about how we as a church, the heart that we should have for the vulnerable and for our neighbor, right? I, I think it's, you know, as a local church, we should show the kingdom of God to our neighbors. I just want to put that Uh, statement up on the screen here. So I want us to look at that for a second. That is something that we should do, is love our neighbors, love the vulnerable. But what I want to do is I want to call out something in this statement, because here's the risk with a sermon like today's, is we're going to talk about the heart that we should have for the vulnerable, that we should have for our neighbor. And the risk is that we're going to walk out of this room and we're going to feel like we don't have it all together. We're going to feel like, man, I, I should be better at this. When we see that word should, maybe some of the things that come into our minds are things like, I should be serving my neighbors even if I don't want to. Or maybe we feel, if we go a little deeper, I ought to be ashamed of my lack of desire and effort in this. I'm a little fearful that as we walk out of the room today, maybe we'll feel a little bit of shame this morning. Or let's go even a little deeper. Yes, God has saved me, but he's disappointed in me. 
right? Because I, I should be doing more. I should have more of a heart for the vulnerable. I should be fostering kids. I should be giving more money. I should be more cognizant of what's going on with my neighbors. And that's the risk. And what I want to do is I want to attack that mindset this morning. And I really want to dig into what is God doing in our hearts to produce a love and a care for our neighbors. See, this language of should, I should be doing more. I should love my neighbor. I should feel this or that, whatever this. That's old covenant style thinking. All right, so in the Old Covenant, that's the law, right? That's when God kind of motivates his people, you could say. God gives us the law, and there's a should attached to it. Hey, this is what you should be doing. This is the kind of person you should be. But that's not New Covenant thinking. New Covenant thinking's different. And what I want you to see this morning is that all in the Old Covenant, we should follow God's commands, but in the New Covenant, we want to follow God's commands. And that's a difference that Jesus is working out inside of us. Our relationship with the Lord is not a, all right, he saves us, he's forgiven us our sins, we're good, we're going to get to go to heaven, but now let's stack on top of your conscience all these shoulds. Let's have this relationship with God where, yeah, I'm walking around, and yeah, I'm saved. Okay, I know in my head I'm going to heaven, but man, he's disappointed in me. That's not the kind of relationship the Lord wants with us. No, it's more of a, yes, I'm saved. Yes, I get to be in the kingdom for all of eternity. And as I am still in this life, Jesus, through the Spirit, is going to be doing stuff in my heart to mold and shape it and put me on a journey towards being more like him. And that's the kind of relationship with Jesus I want us to explore this morning in the Scriptures as we think about God's call upon us to love our neighbors well. So let's go to the Bible, Luke 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read just a few verses, then we'll jump back into this text in just a few moments. But I need to help you see a really key connection that the Bible makes. All right, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered the lawyer. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. And your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19.18. And Jesus said to him, verse 28, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. There's a few spots in the Gospels where uh, Jesus connects these two. A lot of people, or the scriptures call it the two greatest commandments, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is talking about this, and one of the things that he says is that these two commands are like one another. 
that the greatest command is to love God with all that you are, and the second command is like it, is what Jesus said, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And I want you to see the connection between these two commands, to love God and to love your neighbor, because this connection is found cover to cover in your scriptures. That those who have a love and an affection for God at the very same time are going to have a love and an affection for their neighbor and for the most vulnerable. I'll just give you a few examples. In Jeremiah chapter 22, Jeremiah the prophet is warning Israel that you are forsaking the covenant of God. And what he points to in Jeremiah 22 is not only that they don't care about the poor, but that they're not going after the vulnerable in order to serve them and to lift them up out of their circumstances. And it's in that very thing where he says in verse 9 that they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord. And Jeremiah points right to their lack of love for their neighbor. In Nehemiah chapter 5, all right, we've, we're doing a, a Bible study on Thursday mornings with a bunch of people in the book of Nehemiah. It's been really, really great. In Nehemiah 5, right, so Nehemiah is leading a group of people back from exile, right? The people of Israel have been in exile. They're over in you know, Babylon and Persia and that, and they're coming back to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the city. They're rebuilding the temple, and so they start worship again and all of these things. But one of the things that happen is the rich in Jerusalem begin to oppress the poor. And Nehemiah in chapter 5, he, he goes after them and he's like, wait, wait, what are you doing? This is the very thing that got us kicked out of this land. And we're doing it again. And he calls them back to love their neighbor. He says in chapter 5, verse 9, Ought you not to walk in fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? The very thing that makes us different as the people of God is our love for our neighbor. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But the one who is generous to the needy honors him. And so what God's after is not just the person who doesn't oppress, but the person who goes after justice for the oppressed. That's what honors God. Last one, I just said this is all over scripture, but this one we see a really distinct connection here. Matthew chapter 25, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, I just a couple of verses here. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about who will be in the kingdom. And he says to a group of people, you're going to be in the kingdom. And he says, this is why. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. And when I was unclothed, you clothed me. And this group of people goes, Jesus, when did we, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you in prison? And he says in verse 40, he says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, as you did that to the vulnerable, to your neighbors, you did it to me. There's a connection between love of God and love of neighbor. And the inverse was true. Then he looks at a group of people and he says, hey, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And that group of people looks to Jesus and says, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or in prison? And he says in verse 45, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. There's a connection between our love of God and our love of neighbor, right? So I just want you to see this. We're going to be talking about this a lot. 
Pop that diagram up on the screen if you would, Nick. There is a connection that as we have a love and affection for God, something happens in our heart and our soul that's going to produce a love of neighbor. But this is how all of us, when we look at this, this is how we then go, okay, here's what I need to do in response to this. Put the next one up there for me. We go, okay, I should love God more. And if I loved God more, then I would have more affection for my neighbor. And I want to challenge this thinking. Let's continue in our passage in Luke chapter 10. Go to verse 29. So Jesus is speaking to this lawyer. They're talking about love of God, love of neighbor. Verse 29. But he, that's the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus... And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, Man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest, Jewish priest, was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, probably of the part of the priestly tribe of Israel, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, all right, ethnic enemy of the Jews, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. I'm curious what was going on inside of the Levite and the priest. Presumably, the man left to the side of the road was a Jew because he was coming down from Jerusalem. He was probably there to worship. And you have a Levite and a priest, both people in charge of operating the temple. All right, so just think like the, the, the professional religious people, all right? It'd be like in our day, like a pastor walked by. Okay, so think that. A pastor came by, saw the man on the side of the road, and just said, ah, I'm not going to deal with that, and kept on going. What was going on inside of them? Right, Because I think they subscribe to this, if you go back to that diagram for just a second. I think they subscribe to this, that they should have a love for God. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's the Shema. And that that also should produce inside of them a love of neighbor. That's all in the Old Testament. But what was going on inside of them? Something was going on in them that kept their eyes down. And they saw the man... And their eyes were down, and they walked straight by. And the Samaritan's different. His eyes were up when he saw the man. I want to think about this for a second. The title of my sermon today is Eyes Up. In the Old Testament, the idea of the eyes of the Lord, the gaze of the Lord, the face of the Lord being upon you meant God's favor, God's love, God's acceptance of you, right? God's pride in you. That's, that's what it meant by the face shining upon someone. So the high priestly prayer in Numbers chapter six, the Aaronic blessing, right? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face 
shine upon you, right? That, that means God has favor upon you. He loves you. He accepts you. He's proud of you. He's not disappointed in you. Like, you're his. That's what that means. So Psalm chapter 34, verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. So who does God put his face upon? It's the righteous. Those are the people he accepts, he loves, he has affection for. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 39 and in uh, Jeremiah chapter 24, both of these chapters are talking about what the kingdom of God will be like uh, when Jesus returns. And the way that it describes it is that the Lord's face will be upon his people and it will never turn away. Like that will be the kingdom of God. All right, and so here's what I want us to see here, okay? This is it. Our love for God is stirred, is produced, is grow, it grows inside of us when we are secure in his love for us, right? So when we believe that we have the face of the Lord upon us, his eyes are upon us, his gaze is upon us, and he's not looking away, he's not ashamed, he's not disappointed, but he is proud of us and he is for us. When we have that, that produces inside of us a love for God. So it's going to look like this, right? So I'm secure in, my, in God's love for me, and that's going to produce a love for God, which is then going to produce a love of neighbor. When I'm secure in God's love for me, my eyes can go up to see others who are in need. You know, this priest and this Levite, as they're walking by, most likely, what they feared the most was being unclean. If they were to touch a dead man, that would make them ceremonially unclean, unable to go do the work in the temple that they needed to do. And in their worldview, in the old covenant, the way that they believed things were with God, for them to be unclean meant that they were disappointing to God. For them to be unclean means that they are not secure in his love. See, their relationship with the Lord is that the Lord's love for them is a conditional kind of love. It's a kind of love that can be lost. That yes, maybe I have the eyes and the face of the Lord upon me right now, but I can very easily make him turn away. And so to care for this man on the side of the road meant to risk the eyes of the Lord turning away from them. Eyes are down. Eyes are in. Eyes are taking care of what they need to take care of to be secure. So they're moving straight. They don't even consider helping this man. But the Samaritan in this text is given as an example of someone with different theology. This is a parable that Jesus is sharing. It's a made-up story to make a point. And in this story, the Samaritan is the Christ figure. And you and me, as sinners in need of grace, are the man beaten on the side of the road. And we see someone who's walking down the road who is absolutely secure in God's love and is now a conduit of God's love. And he stops because his eyes are up. His eyes are up to see the vulnerable and to see the hurting. And he stops and he gives of himself to bind up this man's wounds. And this is what Christ does for us. He comes down, he gives of his life on the cross, he forgives us, of, forgives us of our sins, he gives us his righteousness so that we can be secure in the love of God. 
It's a completely different theology than the Samaritan and the Levite. I mean, this is really what it is, right? Psalm 34, verse 15, we just read it, says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And friends, this is the gospel message that if you are in Christ, if you trust him for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are righteous, period. Not conditional, not at risk of losing it, You messed up tomorrow, you messed up last night. It doesn't mean that the eyes of the Lord have turned away from you. They are still upon you. His face is still shining upon you because that's what Jesus accomplished for you. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. And so if this formula is true right here, that if I'm secure in the love of God and that's gonna produce in me a love back for God, which is then going to produce in me a love for my neighbor. If that there is true, and yet we find ourselves struggling to love our neighbor, we find ourselves struggling to care for the vulnerable around us. Maybe in the beginning when I talked about the fact that we should be doing that. Maybe we feel that disappointment from God because maybe this isn't something that we do very much in our life. If, if that's going on inside of us, then there's a disconnect somewhere in this formula. If we are in Christ, if you trust in Christ, you are secure in God's love. But that doesn't mean that you feel secure in God's love. There's a difference between being secure in God's love. Like, that's a reality for you. That's what's true. And yet feeling like I'm not secure in God's love. And just like the priest and the Levite, I think that we can live our Christian life with our eyes down. Even though we are secure in God's love, we don't believe it. Maybe you can preach in your head just what I preached. You could do a better job. Just come up here, read, read some beautiful text, preach the gospel, and you can believe that in your head of what Christ has done for you. But in your bones, in your heart, in your soul, as you live life day to day, maybe you don't really believe it. And so here's what I want to do for Stand Sunday this year. So I want to plead with us as a church to have the humility to ask ourselves this question, do I actually feel secure in God's love? Because I believe that when I feel secure in God's love, that his face is shining upon me, that that's going to produce in me an affection for God and therefore a love for my neighbor. That's the pathway to this. Not just stacking shoulds on your conscience, but going, do I feel secure in God's love. So what should we do? What do we do with that? Three quick things, and I'll be done. I have three things that I just want us to think about when it comes to receiving God's love and getting our eyes up. Receiving God's love and getting our eyes up. Because I think when we don't receive God's love, eyes are down. And we're just concerned about self. But as we receive it, eyes can go up, and we can see other people. We can see their need. We can see our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can see the most vulnerable among us. So here's number one. This is going to be a shocker to all of you. Number one, engage in our spiritual formation process here at Grace Hill Church. Engage in this. 
We have designed our spiritual formation process here at Grace Hill to help you not only know about God's love for you, but for you to feel it, for you to believe it down in your bones. That has two key components to it. The first is we need to know the word of God. We need to understand what the word of God says about God's love for us. Yes, absolutely. And the second thing is we need to create a safe place for you to articulate where you struggle to believe that. Here's why. When we are the neighbor in that formula, when we are the neighbor in that formula who experiences love in the name of Christ, it is the most powerful way our soul begins to believe and feel the love of God. You guys, you guys feeling me? All right, you guys got this? When I experience, when I'm the neighbor, when I'm the neighbor that's receiving love and care in the name of Christ, that is the most powerful way that what I know about the gospel gets its way down into my heart and I begin to believe and feel it. And so here's what it's going to look like, right? This is the actual the way it works, right? As a neighbor who's receiving this from my brothers and sisters in Christ, that is going to secure me in God's love. I'm now reminded of that. And now that's going to produce love of God in me and love of my neighbor. And it becomes a cycle within it. And so when sin and shame and bitterness and anger and malice and lust and all of that stuff is lurking in my soul, because it does for every single one of us, when it lurks in my soul and I have a safe place to articulate that with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and in that very moment when my soul is expecting their gaze to turn away, in my soul when I'm expecting the face of the Lord and the face of my brothers and sisters to no longer shine upon me because now this is awkward, now this is weird, now we're disappointed, now you're not the person that I thought you were because of all of those things. When I'm fearing that, when I'm expecting that, and it does not happen. It doesn't happen in the room. But in the room, everyone's face still shining there. And I'm now being ministered the love of God. All of a sudden, the knowledge in my head starts to match with my experience in the room, and this becomes the very place where with what I know about God's love, I now begin to feel God's love. I begin to believe God's love in my bones. What I know in my head is now feasible in my soul. So this is why we have to engage in our spiritual formation process here. This is why we structure our groups the way that we do. It is so important because our faith in Christ is not just about the knowledge in our head. It's about our lived experience. And it's that very lived experience that's going to overflow into love of neighbor. We're not stacking shoulds here. This is all about being secure in the love of God. Can I just be honest with you? There's a lot of Bible experts out there that don't love their neighbor. And there's a lot of Bible experts out there who are not secure in the love of God. We gotta know God's word and what it says, and then we gotta live it together. Spiritual formation is about knowledge and practice, knowing what Jesus taught and doing it, and we have to do that for one another. So engage with this process. Like engage in, right? This is the reason I'm going after this so much is this is directly linked to our mission. 
if we are going to be a church that displays the kingdom of God to our neighbor and cares for the vulnerable, we must be a church secure in God's love. Because that is how we then minister God's love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is directly related to our mission. So engage with our spiritual formation process. Number two, number two, give. And I have a few things I need to say to this. Actually, I have some repentance that I need to do as one of the pastors at Grace Hill Church. For the longest time here at Grace Hill, because I feared conflict of interest, I didn't lead us confidently and boldly in how we should be giving as a church, right? Because I collect a salary from this church. This is my full-time job, right? So I fear the conflict of interest that if I talk about giving, then, you know, people are just be like, ah, you're just trying to, to get more. Hey, I, I have feared that, and, and I need to stop. Because what that has done is caused some passivity in me that has impacted us, it's impacted you as this church in seeing that giving is a way of getting our eyes up and practicing getting our eyes up. And so when I talk about giving, I'm not just talking about money, I am talking about that, but I'm also talking about our time and I'm talking about our talents. And giving in the church is a powerful way that we practice getting our eyes up, that we look at the things that God has entrusted to me, my time, my talents, my treasure, all of it, and I go, okay, this isn't just for me. This is for others. God has entrusted this to me to give out for others. And so giving is a practical way that we begin to train our soul to get eyes up on a monthly basis, daily basis, as we serve our brothers and sisters here in Christ. And so that, that includes giving of our time, you know? Um, one of the biggest mission fields that we have here at Grace Hill Church, one of the biggest mission fields we have in loving our neighbor are all those kiddos back there. And we need so many people to serve back there because there's over 100 of them. There's as many of them as there are us in this room back there. And so that is such an amazing way that we give of our time that we normally want for ourselves, eyes down, and we go, eyes up, how do I give of my time to serve these kids so that they may know Christ? You know, I was sitting in my community group hearing someone share their story last Wednesday, and they talked about how they came to Christ at Vacation Bible School, right? And I'm just longing for that in our church, that our kiddos would have moments and experiences back in Grace Hill Kids where they are giving their life to Christ, and that Grace Hill Kids would be a place that families who are in a vulnerable situation can come and it's safe for them to be back there and they're gonna hear about the love of God. Or I think about giving. Like we have two major initiatives I've been putting before you guys right now at the church. We're trying to hire a youth director because there's not a bigger mission field in Herndon and in this area than our teenagers and our youth. And we're longing that God would give us the resources to be able to hire a youth director so we can go and not only disciple the kids who are already here, but go reach the kids who are not. And so we're asking the Lord to give us the resources to be able to do that this year. Same thing, we've been saving our money for a facility. We have longed to have a facility where we can base all of our ministry opportunities and have vacation Bible schools where kids over the summer can hear the gospel. And to have these places that we can come and we can take the 2,000 volunteer hours it takes per year to do setup and teardown. I did the math. 
and we can repurpose that to other things within the church. And so give. I mean, give generously. I mean, as we look at the Good Samaritan, as he walked down the road, he gave generously so that this man could have his wounds bound up. That's the exact example that we give. His eyes were up. It's not on self. And I just want to say, like, another reason why I feel like I need to repent of my leadership in this area is because I know the kind of church that we are. I know you guys and your generosity. I know our leadership and our elders and how seriously they take our stewardship of our money. And I know that with the more resources that we are gonna use that to love our neighbors. And we're gonna do that collectively. We're gonna be able to support organizations like Foster the Family and Young Lives and other organizations that we support more generously and more radically because I know we, I know us here at Grace Hill Church. So give. Number three, last one, I gotta be done is get educated through our partners. Get educated through our partners. And band, if you guys want to come on up, come on up. Get educated through our partners. We have two partnerships in particular serving the vulnerable in our community. Foster the Family, which you already heard of from Kim, and then also Young Lives, which serves teen moms in our town. Get educated, like lean in with these organizations. We're gonna always try to put opportunities before you to help these organizations. And so jump in there, like help with the toy drive. Uh, consider helping foster the family, volunteering. I I'll tell you one of the most powerful experiences you'll ever have is if you go pack a bag for a, uh, a foster child that just got placed and you go deliver it to that house. Um, I've done it a few times now where I'm coming up to a house, I'm knocking on the door, and literally a child is placed in that home within hours of that moment. It is a hard moment, and you get to show up with all kinds of stuff for them to say, you are seen, you are loved, you are cared for, you are not forgotten. That is a powerful moment. And so lean in with our partners. Young Lives, same thing. We're doing a dinner for these teen moms in February. We'll be getting that information before you as that event comes up. Again, it's just another way that you can engage with these people and then get educated. Because as we engage with these organizations, they're going to show us what does it actually look like to serve the vulnerable. And then you get opportunities to do that. And all of a sudden, that cycle that I was talking about, it begins to not only get perpetuated in your heart, but in the heart of those that we're serving. And so Grace Hill, that's my longing for us as a church, that we would be secure in the love of God, and that would then flow into our love of neighbor. Right? Should is not the way that God motivates his people. Joy is the way that he does it. So don't settle for a Christianity where you're not experiencing all that God has for you. Right? Engage in a community group. Engage in a spot where you can become more secure in the love of God. Give generously. Serve the vulnerable. Let's have our eyes up as a church. Let me pray. God, I'm so thankful for this church and just the numerous examples and stories of ways that people have been doing everything we just talked about. Serving the vulnerable, loving their neighbor, giving generously. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to have our eyes up. Help us to have our eyes up, to, to see our neighbors, our community, our people in our town who are suffering and hurting and oppressed. And 
Lord, help us to move towards them. I mean, it's, it's so clear in your scripture that you don't, you don't want your people to be indifferent to that. You want us to, to move and literally, as your word says, execute justice on behalf of the oppressed and the vulnerable. But God, help us to be secure in your love that everything you have called upon us to do as your ambassadors, you've done for us. So God, if there's anyone in the room today who, if they're honest with themselves, they feel like they don't have your gaze, they don't have your eyes, that you are ashamed of them, that you are disappointed of them. Lord, number one, if they don't believe in Christ, I pray that right now in this moment that you would lead their heart to put their trust in Jesus because it's in Jesus alone that we are saved, that we're made righteous, and that we get your face to shine upon us. But Lord, if there's anyone in here who does trust in you, Jesus, but does not believe that you are proud of them, does not believe that you love them. Lord, I pray right now you would heal that. Pray you would put people around them to minister to them and encourage them and comfort them and help them feel secure in your love. And God, I pray as a church, as we seek to do this for one another, that it would spill over to loving our neighbors well, to showing Jesus to our neighbors. We ask for your help in this. Pray this all in Jesus' name.